to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growlin, Paul Eater Jr., and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here with you. Hopefully we're coming to you loud and clear like the speakers would in an oversized boombox on Jay Morrison's shoulders. With the great bass, the nice little <laughs> equalizer to set it for your style of music. I love that thing. I, Jay, I, I appreciate you just being like, you know what? I got to put it out there so everyone can out there on Twitter. We talked about it last week. You tweeted out the photo of the giant boombox that you are now sporting. It's so big. I had <laughs> ice my shoulder after that. <laughs> uh, and I'm good that we got some clarity on the 1984 junior skip day. Uh, yes. Referenced last week as well. Not 86. I'm sorry that I tried to make you younger. Yeah, 84 was that. It was it was literally right after Run DMC's album, their first album dropped, and we we were in love with it. And then of course Jam Master J and my name being J, I wasn't I wasn't part of the breakdancing crew, but I was all over Run DMC. Jam Master J, I, I mean, look, you're always going to be Van Morrison to me, <laughs> and to many others. <laughs> You can't have the white creeper van. Which did we? Are we? Did we ever officially put two and two together that definitely was not your white creeper van in the 1990 playoff game, parked eight yards from the end zone? It was not. Mine was brown. I did not have a white van. I had a brown van <laughs> where right. you could you could take we, the cushions we, off you. of the back, and then you could. I don't know if we've talked about this on a previous pod, but we would take the cushions. Uh, off the back bench seats and stuff them in the windows, and then we would sit back there and crush beers in the uh, Kings Island parking lot. <laughs> that way, security couldn't see in and see what we were doing. Yeah, no clues. <laughs> uh, the life and times of Jay Morrison, bestseller. Uh, let we got we're gonna have stuff we're gonna get to today. Uh, Want to dive a little bit deeper into some of the details and kind of issues at hand in the Joe Mixon story uh, I wrote last week, uh, which is sort of a, a, a real deep dive into where that's at, why it's changed, the numbers behind it, maybe stuff that has been out there for a while, but maybe everybody hasn't seen it all in the same place, um, what it means for Mixon, what it means for the Bengals, and each the long-term uh, relationship between the two. Um, so we're going to dive into that. We've got some stats involved with that. A run passer boot involved with that. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Patriots videotaping scandal coming down with a ruling finally. Um, and some of the absurdities behind that. Um, we have, Jay, you got a story coming out with, we have the 20th anniversary of Paul Brown Stadium uh, this year. And in a couple months, really. And so we have, you've compiled We've all sort of worked on it, but you've been on, you've been on running it, driving it. Uh, the twenty most memorable moments in Paul Brown Stadium history. So we got a few thoughts on some of those. I've got some thoughts. There, there, there's some good and some bad. Uh, there's a lot of bad. <laughs> there's a lot of bad, actually. <laughs> I I have different memories maybe than 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 others uh, that I would that I will happily share. But we will we'll dive into a little bit into that. So we got stuff to get to. Uh, let's start with Mixon. If you haven't read uh, the story up last week, my deep deep dive into Joe Mixon, uh, the contract extension situation, why it has changed dramatically due to the COVID nineteen pandemic, and where that leaves everybody, and why the Bengals kind of have, you know, I would say had their hand forced a little bit. Um. I'll start with this. I, I, it's almost weird talking about running back extensions and, and running backs in through the lens of roster construction anymore because I feel like we've said this so much and it's become almost common knowledge for so long. The, the you know, the hammer out there of running backs don't matter and some of the analytics behind it and how you see it play out over and over and over again. But yet so often when I'm hearing fans or people, uh, whether it be on Twitter or in person or just message boards, whatever, 
are constantly banging the drum how the Bengals have to re-sign Joe Mixon and this, that, and the other there and love the way he plays. And I, I, I find it interesting because I, I feel like I'm almost beating a dead horse when you write about some of the numbers behind this and some of the basics behind it um, of how you really shouldn't be spending on these guys. And that's been proven over a long period of time, and it's really become common knowledge within the NFL circles in most NFL circles. Is case after, especially case after case after case shows up and teams are regretting these big contracts. But yet, that's still a sentiment very much out there. Do you get that sense, Jay? That, or, or do you, or do you feel like mo? I think mo a, a majority of fans probably understand it. But I'm always surprised at how much I hear dissenting from the other side. Yeah, because I, I think it's a small percentage of fans that are like really in tune with with roster finances and salary cap and that type of things. They they're a, the bulk of fans I would say are just cheering for the team and cheering for the players and and they don't want they don't concern themselves with with a lot of the stuff that is so important from the business side of running the team and it is it's it's really pretty remarkable when when you think about how far Joe has come in that regard because there was a lot of people throwing their hands up when they drafted him and and a lot of people against it and and Joe has has done a great job, not just a good job, a great job of of winning over the fans, both with his play on the field and then just the way he interacts with them at training camp. And that we mentioned on the last pod, that celebrity all-star game that I went to last year where a lot of the Bengals were playing. And Joe Mixon's playing left field. And when it's time for his team to go in and bat, he stays in left field and just signs autographs and poses for pictures with the fan. I mean, it, it it's not... It's not image repair or damage repair. It it is it's just true personality out of Joe. He just he loves kids and he he has really I think won this fan base over. There's some, there's a segment of fans that are never going to forgive him for that incident, but he's he's done a great job, and I I think that's why you see so many fans. Uh, wanting to see him back, just like you mentioned in the story, the enthusiasm he plays with, the, the fact that he loves being a Bengal. There's probably a lot of guys on that team that are happy to be in the NFL, but if given their choice, they'd probably like to go somewhere else. And, and Joe loves it here, and the city loves him, and, and I see why a lot of fans are are eager to have him back. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of the um... – it's almost the the unspoken side of this conversation um, is how fans in this city, despite what you would have, what you would think, have gravitated towards Joe Mixon. There's whether you like it or not, whether you think it's right or wrong. You know, there's a basic fact is that he has connected with fan base. The fan base does love him. There, there. It's it's almost. It was like that almost immediately this, the moment he got here. To, to much to my surprise um and the organization has really loved joe mixon and and his teammates have have really felt his presence and and, and started and it seems viewed him as a leader um those are just facts and then we can talk about whether it should be that way or not separately and maybe other cities and franchises don't view it that way and that would be relevant in Joe Mixon hitting free agency potentially you know his most value is here for those reasons we just mentioned and you know from a football perspective uh that's very relevant is that you know his baggage is significant and as it should be um and how many other teams would be willing to bring Joe Mixon in even now and pay Joe Mixon a significant amount of money knowing uh, what the reaction of a lot of fans and people in the city and ownership and everybody would rightfully be. Um, That's part of this. And I think that's part of where his value is here because he's already established himself here as the city has taken him in that way and, and sees him... Uh, in a in a different light than he's probably viewed by most nationally, it's relevant and it's it's an interesting dynamic um, how that's how that's occurred. Um, but 
there's a couple things that could happen here. And the most important one is I I, I thought a while back that they were going to be a pretty good chance they could get an extension done with, with Joe. They wanted to. They were leaving money behind to do it and viewed that as a priority. Well, funny things happen as everything has changed in the world. And this, this being one of the millions of things. But, you know, there's so much uncertainty in how much money is going to be around next year, whether it be cash on hand, whether we're talking about the salary cap going down. There's a just nothing but uncertainty about what the 2021 balance sheet looks like. So the idea of offering a very big money extension or some sort of big money extension to anybody for next year and adding that certainty into a big pile of uncertainty, especially after you spent all that money in free agency, is has become highly unlikely. That doesn't mean they couldn't still re-sign him, but it would involve Mixon having to probably come down to a more, much more pedestrian number and be comfortable in that. And you would think that 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 he would his agent surely is aware of what the market's going to be, and and you would think that he would make Joe's eyes open to that as well. I, I I don't know if if he can realistically go into any negotiation trying to get Christian McCaffrey or Ezekiel Elliott money. It's just it's not going to happen, and and they have to no. know that and. If if they come to if he comes to grips with that of of what his worth is, you know maybe he is happy here. He's not going to do the hometown discount, but if if all all teams are offering about the same amount of money, you you could see a scenario where he would stay. But the the flip side of that, what you hear so many times with guys like that is, you know they were the ones willing to take a chance on me and they believed in me first. And and yes, that's true. The Bengals were the ones that drafted him, but. But the head coach that drafted him and the running back coach that he had when he first got here, those guys are both gone. This is it's a it's a new coaching staff. Um, the the front office is still the same, so it, it, there's just a, a lot of variables in play, and it, it, a lot of it's going to come down to you know what what Joe sees his worth as, and 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 maybe that is the most likely scenario where. You, you just say wait until 2020 is over and, and then it becomes apparent because if you're trying if you're trying to give him an extension right now there's no competing offers you can he can speculate all he wants on what he might be getting elsewhere but he's not going to know he, he gets into free agency next year after it all after the season ends and then he starts getting other offers then then maybe the, the light goes on of, of Hey, this is this is all I'm gonna get, and it and it leads to a re-signing of him coming back here. All I know is this: if I am a running back in the NFL today, and anybody offers me any sense of real guaranteed money, I am taking that and I'm running and hiding and saying you can't have it back. The chance of injury, the chance of people just not caring about your position, which they don't. Um, and in the case of Joe Mixon, the case of becoming what is the quarterback class this year, how we saw this play out, where there was just too many guys mm-hmm. and not enough spots for them to play. And so on top of that, not enough teams willing to pay any real money to that person. That's exactly what next year's free agency with the running back position is going to be. It's going to be the same thing. He's going to be out there with Chris Carson and Dalvin Cook and this long list of about 10 guys that are all real, real dudes. And and a league not really willing to pay running backs anyway. You had a – I mean, this is last – this past year's free agency crop, which wasn't much. Melvin Gordon, good for him. Got two years and sixteen million. He got he got eight, thirteen and a half guaranteed. Nobody else on the market got more than five and a half guaranteed, or more than five on average. Granted, it wasn't huge names: Todd Gurley, Jordan Howard, Carlos Hyde. You know, taking small deals. I mean, Carlos Hyde. The, the, these are this is this is what how people value a free agent running back. Now, will that be different for guys like I just mentioned in that whole 
long list of great players. I mean, Derek Derek Henry will be back in that as he comes off the franchise tag. Um, Alvin you know, you Kamara, Austin Eck, Alvin Kamara. I mean, you saw you saw um, Leonard Fournette, Marlon Mack, Aaron Jones, James Conner, Philip Lindsay. I mean, all these guys, and then throw in the draft class. So if you're looking for a running back, how much are you really going to pay when all of those options are on the table, plus that that year's draft class? Ask Andy Dalton. Ask Jameis Winston. Hey, you can even ask Cam Newton now, who's a new Patriot. <laughs> what happens when there's too many people on the market? Jameis Winston take like a million dollars. Andy Dalton's making $3 million in Dallas. They sat around with nowhere to go. And if you're a running back and you add in the uncertainty of actually playing this season and risking injury in your future, and you can't hold out anymore because the new CBA took that away from you, because if you don't show up on day one, you lose a year towards free agency. So, a.k.a. you would not be a free agent. Um, if you leave for any more than five days unexcused, you lose a year towards free agency. So holding out, gone. Forget that. Huge market, saturated. It's unfortunate what has happened to running backs. It's like they continually get screwed. They, the, the people doing the CBA were like, nah, we don't really care about them. I'm not gonna, we're not going to even attempt to fight for you know shorter rookie contracts or maybe a shorter rookie contract for a running back. Or anything like that. Nope. These guys are just going to continue to be used and abused and discarded. It's what the, it's what's it's what the position has become. It's unfortunate we know that. And if knowing all of that, you it's time for real talk. It's time for real talk. Uh, if you're sitting around and, and you're Peter Schaefer and Joe Mixon's your client, whoever else is in his ear, to talk about, it's time to just. You're, no one's probably going to value you more than the Bengals. You probably should take whatever you can get and understand that that's a whole lot of money and that could take care of you and yours for a long, long time rather than oh, haggling over my worth and I got to get this for a few extra million dollars here and there potentially. But the security, it's not worth it. It's not it, for what you could possibly lose. The risk reward is is out of whack. Yeah, the other thing at play here is what. how many times do you hear players say it? I mean, yeah, the money's important, but the chance to win, the chance to go to the playoffs is something that that is it weighs heavily in their decision. And, and he they've got he's got another year to figure out is Zach if you know, if they don't reach an extension, is Zach Taylor the answer here you've got the the number one overall pick in joe burrow you you've got the the largest most talented free agent class in franchise history if if the bengals come out and lay an egg again in 2020 then then yeah maybe joe doesn't want to be a part of this organization anymore but if they if they come off the mat and they have a great season or a much improved season and and he sees that that playoff window opening that that is another thing that that could kind of way in the Bengals' favor of, of him wanting to to stick around here, um, knowing that, like you said, that the Bengals are probably going to value him as much or more than any other franchise. There is no doubt. And here's the thing. you got to understand. I, I thought um, Eric Eager, who I talked to for the piece, who works over at Pro Football Focus, and really everybody at Pro Football Focus has been banging this drum since – <laughs> really, let's be honest. I think I think this might have been on the first when they published the PFF website on day one. Whenever they started, it probably started with a whole thing about how running backs are overrated. Uh, they've been they've been talking about this forever. Um, but he had a number of great things to say about it. But there was one quote that stuck out to me as really summing it up as to why you don't pay running backs. And this is what it was. This is from Eric Eager, who's like they're. 
one of their head analysts. The reason why any particular running back doesn't matter that much is because the offensive function is so much more sensitive to offensive line play and scheme and the other team. If you told me who the running back is and how many men are in the box for the defense and predict how many yards are going to happen on that play, the number of players in the box for the defense is so much more predictive than the actual back. You are paying for certainty in something where the output is not sensitive at all to it. That's the main reason why we say running backs don't matter. It's because running doesn't matter that much, and how good you are running the ball isn't all that sensitive to who you are actually giving it to. It's the least important thing about offense is who the back is. Passing matters more than running. Offensive line matters more than the running back, and the defensive scheme matters more than the running back. It's... It's nice if you have one, but typically you could put another guy in there, and there's so many good ones, as we just mentioned, the whole line of those that will be available, not to mention rookies, that can come in and be just as good. And that's part of the problem if you're a running back, but it's part of the solution if you are in team building and roster construction in a time where maybe purse strings are going to start getting tight. You can't pay that guy. Not some huge amount of money. You can you can give him something that you feel is equitable, you know, you want to get in that, you want to go in that girl, you want to be in that five, Austin Eckler, six range. I, I think you're probably okay with that. Max out at that Malvin Gordon contract. I don't see that. I'm probably, I think any of those names that we've mentioned would probably be lucky to see that. So what does that mean for the Bengals going forward, though? You know what I mean? I mean, is if they can, if they can find a way to do it, then, then they're settled at that position going forward and, and maybe they get it at a, a reasonable dollar they're comfortable with or structure or whatever that is if they don't they don't you know what you can do to just draft a running back in the third round next year add him in the mix with who you have Travion Williams Giovanni Bernard still around Rodney Anderson in the mix but let me let me just rip you off the names of third round running backs where who over the last five years or so that we can get it, we have a decent view of their career. So I'll go back to, we'll go back to fifteen. You have David Johnson, Duke Johnson, Tevin Coleman, CJ Procise, who injuries derailed him. Kenyon Drake, who we've seen blown up. James Conner, we've seen him have big years. Uh, Deontay Foreman was a bit of a bust for Houston. Kareem Hunt, Alvin Kamara. I mean, he's, I'm just listing you all of them. This is all of them. They've all had impacts. How many of these guys are markedly, decidedly ruin your team worse than Joe Mixon? That's the type of production that you're replacing it with, and I think it's important to keep that in mind. A third-round pick can come in and probably give you something similar, if not better, if you invest more of the money elsewhere, like offensive line or something like that. And that's not even a, a floor, a third-round pick. I mean, you can get guys in the fourth, fifth. You can get undrafted guys that, that can come in – um, you see it every year. An undrafted guy kind of bubbles up and either goes over a thousand or gets close to it, and not not just draft. I mean, maybe they draft a couple next year if they if they can't bring Joe back. But you you have a really good insurance policy. That's the reason they gave Gio, Giovanni Bernard a third contract. They've still got him under contract for two more years. Now he's not a not a guy that's going to carry it twenty to twenty five times a game. But who is anymore? Um, so it is that 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 is a luxury that that they have right now is having Geo to fall back on. Who knows about Travion Williams? Maybe Rodney Anderson comes back from the knee injury. It, it, the, the All the leverage is on the Bengals' side. It, it's going to be what Joe Mixon is, is willing to accept. Yeah. And, or if he's willing to set nothing, then come back, play this season out, and hit the market. And I think the Bengals will still be there, interested in him after the year, and say, hey – Give us a call. Here's our offer on the table. Give us a call whenever you've got one better. And and it'd be fair to wonder if there would be one better, or what who would actually call. You know, I I think that's fair to fair to say. Here's here's something that I little stat Jay. I know you always you're you're our stats guy. So I don't I'm not stealing your thunder, but I'm gonna jump in front <laughs> of you because I got something. I was just curious. I thought it'd be fun. That I have a number of stats looking at guys. Uh, in my piece, if you want to go back, I looked at everybody in the league uh, since 2000 
that has started their career with the first three years with 650 plus touches and at least four yards per carry. Mixon is is in that group. You know, a lot of usage, a lot of early usage. What happened the next three years? You know, it's there's some success stories, but it's not pretty. You're looking at about a 50 percent coin flip uh, in whether it's a success, success or totally wasted money. I'd probably prefer a little bit better odds than that, and particularly when you're talking about a position where we don't know how much even matters. Um, you know, there's just a lot of uncertainty there, and that's that's known. We talked about that for a while. Here's another one. Let's say everything does go right in a season with a great running back. Let's say it's great. So I put I put the parameters at 200 attempts and five yards per carry at least. And seven TDs, right? Great season, correct? For a running back. 17 of those this past decade. Jay, I'm going to ask you, how many playoff wins, total playoff wins, do you think those seasons produced? 17 separate seasons by running backs where the running back had at least 200 attempts, five yards per carry, and had at least seven TDs. So the best seasons of the past decade by running backs. How many playoff wins total? Playoff wins. Um, yeah, by those 17 teams. Well, knowing the, the focus of your article. Uh, <laughs> knowing the point that I'm trying to make. Yeah. I'll say five. Four. Wow. And that includes two from Derrick Henry last year on that Tennessee team. Jeez. So outside of Henry, you had one by Marshawn Lynch in 2012. You know, Legion of Boom had something to do with that. No, lots of love for Lynch. I think that was Beast Quake season, I believe. Um, and Justin Forsett <laughs> for the Ravens, who won us, who won a game. That's it. That is it for playoff wins. Now they've had they made those seventeen guys had winning seasons ten times, playoffs nine but none of them went anywhere. Those are the best. Adrian Peterson's insane 2012 season, out in the first round. They were 10-6, first round exit. You know, he's, he rushes for over 2,000 yards. He's an absolute beast, gone. LaShawn McCoy's on there three times. Exit, exit, exit. It, it's It shows itself. Uh, Bengals are on there. Jeremy Hill, 14. The year they lost in Indy. It just doesn't matter. (laughs) It's not going to win you the games. And if you're ever a team in a franchise that should be caring about the output that produces playoff wins occasionally, it's this one. And, you know, I kind of – I go back. I'll harken back to – we talk a lot about Corey Dillon and how good he was. And Lord knows I will talk about how Corey Dillon helped carry the Patriots to a Super Bowl back in 04. But – Maybe the best Bengals team that we've seen since 88 was when Corey Dillon exited and Rudy Johnson came in and really took that running game off. You just brought in another guy, a fourth-round pick, who just came in and kicked things up. That's how it happens. It's the cycle. Sometimes you got to be willing to embrace the cycle, even if fans might not understand it at first. That. That that really does surprise. I mean, I I went if I if if I didn't know the focus of of what your point you were trying to make, I would have gone so much higher on that. I mean, four is is pretty remarkable. And how many years did you say that was? The last just the last decade from two thousand ten through nineteen season. Yeah. So Gurley didn't meet the parameters that year they went to the Super Bowl, or no? Because he had the injury, right? They they started wearing he started wearing down. I don't think he got to two. My parameters were two hundred attempts, five point oh yards per carry, and seven touchdowns. Now yeah. I I just know the I know the guys that are on the list. Gurley's not on that list. You, uh, so I mean, there there's certainly guy. I mean, maybe there maybe he was like a four point eight. Yeah, or something like that. I would just sort of put it to try to get the truly efficient running games and quantity and pushing the ball in the end zone, a little bit of everything. And you end up with a lot of teams that couldn't win the big games. Because it's not on running backs to win. Because RB wins isn't a thing. Nor should it be. Even considered. 
And Mixon, by the way, is yet to average 5.0 in a season. He did have 4.9 in 2018, but... No, but uh, I'm, I'm just saying this is yeah. the best case. That's how right. this is the best case scenario for your running backs. Best. If everything goes great, you have one of the best running seasons in this whole decade. You're still ain't going to win you nothing. Not one of them has been a Super Bowl. So. So there's that. Did you have any stats? You have some stats on running game stuff? Yeah, I mean, this kind of goes you, you can look at this one of two ways obviously Joe Mixon has not played for a very good team since he's been here that the, the one year they started four and one before things fell apart there was a solid team and then is that was 2017 or no t- yes 2017 um but it just kind of goes to show uh, when Joe Mixon scores a touchdown what do you he's there's 18 games when he's scored a touchdown what do you think their record is in games when he scores a touchdown well i know their record overall <laughs> in the last 3 years uh 18 games i mean I, I if i was just playing along with their normal winning percentage what 5 and 13 8 and 10 but that's 8 know, and 10 oh hey Look when when he when he goes over 100 they're 4 and 5 and when he gets twenty or more carries, they're seven and five. So it just kind of highlights the point you were making that it just it's not not that valuable. Um, even the year that he had the great year, they they had a losing record. Um, the, the one thing that I, aside from stats, aside from football, period, and and I wonder what you think about this, where Joe Mixon, he has the personality. To, where he could make up some of this money that he's not going to get salary wise with endorsements, but but you know if he were to go to a big market team where he could really rake it in, but but can he do that? How long does that incident no. follow him? No, he's he is he can't you cannot no company can align no matter how much Cincinnati fans might like Joe Mixon, there is no company that can align themselves. It's no. been, it, it'll be six that, years in July since that happened. It doesn't matter. It's the one thing. It's the one thing that is gone forever. I would be absolutely floored. I mean, that would be crazy for me to think that 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 a company would align themselves with him. And not again. We we can talk so much about you know, how he's viewed by the fans, maybe how he's viewed nationally and what that incident is, has, means through a big picture. I mean, that's it's a whole separate thing. I'm just saying from a business perspective, I cannot imagine a company being like, let's invest in putting Joe Mixon out there as our sponsor or our spokesperson or whatever. You know, the Bengals can, essentially by having him on their team, but it's, it's just you can't. You just can't. You can't. I, I do. I. I do. I would be stunned. I'd be absolutely stunned. Yeah, the the goodwill he he would give you with his personality probably would be. You're right. Be offset by people that would be disgusted by by using him to to pitch a product, even though it was six years ago. That it's just one of those things that you know probably never. It, it's going to follow him the rest of his life. Yeah. It's. I mean, and that was the. You know, I remember us discussing that after he was drafted that Mm -hmm. you can make an argument about the guy has a right to work um and how all the everything had been resolved from a you know court perspective and that was part of the argument being made when the Bengals drafted him he may have a right to work but you know this was always going to follow him. This was always going to be in the first paragraph of the Joe Mixon story. It just is. And it is in the first paragraph of his story whenever a company is looking to potentially looking for somebody to push their product who's a football player. I mean, there's there's no making up. There's no making up for that. That's just, it's there forever. and And it should be. Like, that's... It's that's what it is for a reason. Yeah, people forgive, but they don't forget. No, no. Um, so that's kind of again. If you want to read more into it, there's a lot more in the piece there um, about some of the dynamics of all this that are at play. 
uh, up on the athletic now um we have a 30 day free trial going so if you want to just hop on read if you want to read that story and see there's tons of stuff baseball's kicking up now lots of good stuff over there um you know nba we've got it all covered so if you want to come on and do a 30-day run drive the car a little bit see if you like it uh you can get out if you want to or stick around if you like it we we'd love to have you on board uh so feel free to go do that uh, up on theathletic.com right now uh oh run pass or boot before we before we move on so run pass or boot jay extension Mixon plays this year and resigns next year with the Bengals, or Mixon plays this year and bolts for another team run pass or boot um i'm gonna run with him playing the year and then re-signing with the team in 2021, I will pass on playing one year and then walking away, signing with another team, and I'll boot the extension. It just doesn't with the the whole situation of of COVID and the uncertainty of everything that it just it doesn't feel like anything's going to get done before the start of the regular season, and that's typically the the de facto deadline where they're they stop negotiating. So I, I do think there's a good chance that that he realizes what his his value is. Peter, his agent, you know, gets through to him on that. The Bengals show decent improvement this year. He's excited to be a part of something with Joe Burrow and, and the way the team's building. And um, I, I just think that would be the most likely scenario. He he plays this year on a prove it year, has a good year. The Bengals want him back. He wants to come back, and and we see him in uniform with the Bengals in 2021. Yeah, uh, if I I will say if I was Joe Mixon, I would want to be running with the extension, whatever it is. Just get just get something if you're a running back, you know. And I know that's it's I'm not, and so I'm not talking about my money and my future and the big the only maybe the biggest only contract of my professional career. I mean, I I have so much respect for these guys who put their bodies on the line and they're basically screwed by the system. Um, but. You're, I think you're right, Jay. I think it's I think it's run on the play and resign here. It's pass on the play and bolt, and then uh, boot the extension. Um, yeah, it's that's a, it's a tough one, but I it's a t- that's a that's a it's tough to see the extension happening because if you're Joe Mixon, I, I, I you get the I get the feeling he he just wants to make as much money as he can. If that means going and betting on himself for a year and coming back and seeing what the market has to say next year, I see him. I can hear him saying that. You know, mm-hmm. you can you can hear it. the the <laughs> The one thing is, players do tend to find a way around these rules when they show up to block them from holding out or whatever. I mean, we've seen it. We saw it a lot last year with these with fake injuries with Jalen Ramsey. His back magically healed up once he got traded. Um, you know. We saw what happened with AJ Green here, um, who we we know what that all was, how much that injury was real, how much he could have played, how much he just chose not to. Um, so I mean, there are ways that, that you can do. It. I, I will be interested to see if if that shows up in part of Joe Mixon's playbook this year. Guys get in their heads over this stuff. And you understand it, mm-hmm. but they do all. Every player that's gone through it has said that to me. You get in your own head about this stuff. Sometimes you're best just being Tyler Boyd. Some people might criticize. He probably could have gotten a little bit more last year. He signed before camp started, booked his money, and he was just the happiest guy ever. Even though not that he's happy with losing, but he was set. He's got his contract. Never had to deal with going through camp or any kind of dispute. People ask, worrying about it. Nah, here's what I fear is fa- feel is fair for me. Bengals said, yeah, you're right, that is fair for you. Everyone agrees. Sign off, take your money, and move on and play. Sometimes it's best to just look at it that way. Um, I guess we'll talk about this Patriots thing. <laughs> so, the, it, even though we all knew what had happened uh, last Christmas... We're here at the 4th of July, <laughs> and this is how long the league waited to levy their fines, and they confirmed what we told you here since day one. It was the Patriots caught red-handed, uh, so it was a, 
a million, 1.1 million. It was the, the big one, the third round pick. Yeah. Um, they, they can't film. <laughs> uh, the guy who did it is like banned. Um, the third round pick is really the big thing. And, you know, the Patriots will just restock with through comp picks or whatever. It's, it, is it a heavy? I mean, what did you think? Did, when you heard that, did you feel like lenient, heavy handed, about right? Where did you view that? It was more than I expected, but I I still didn't think it was. I wouldn't say it was heavy handed. I, whenever I see a fine, a, a franchise getting fined, the money just blows over. I mean, one point one million would yeah crush most people, but to a professional sports franchise, that's it's change. That's not nobody likes to lose a million dollars, but for a team that's worth that much money, that the that that just kind of seems inconsequential to me. Third round pick is a pretty big deal. It would have been a bigger statement, obviously, if it was a first or a second pick. Especially maybe on the surface, that would have seemed like a heavy handed. But when you've got a repeat offender franchise, it just felt like that would have been more of a message to to dock him a first or a second round pick. And then the other stuff is, I mean what their their production company's not allowed to film any games this year and that guy who they've already fired um isn't allowed to work in the league anymore those those didn't really hold any weight either so i i i thought it was going to be more of a slap on the wrist so i was surprised to see that at least it was a third round pick but i didn't i didn't think it was heavy handed by any stretch of the imagination no i mean no and and that's why they continue to do it yeah you know if they feel like they occasionally might lose a pick or some money here and there, but they'll trade the wins for it. You know, they'll push the limits and push the rules and brazenly videotape from the press box right at the sideline because the worst case scenario, they try not to get caught, of course, but if something were to happen, yeah, maybe lose a pick or whatever. It's worth it for the advantage to try to stack a couple, to get a, you know, a leg up in a game to find an advantage to get a win. So it's how this has gone forever with the Patriots. And it's just, you know, the league being the the way it was handled, the league essentially came across as complicit with the Pats almost. I mean, you've known this forever. What what did you learn between Christmas and July fourth to wrap up your investigation? Other than making the easiest hit possible on New England and the the least amount of impact on your league. Because the last thing you wanted was any attention on this during the Super Bowl or, God forbid, the Patriots making a real run, maybe even being in the Super Bowl and everybody talking about it or it affecting them there, anything like that. No, yeah, no, no, no. Can't have that. Sweep it under the rug. Find the easiest point in the schedule possible to drop it with the smallest PR hit. Tell New England... So they can sign Cam Newton at the same time and cut and totally flush it out as a as a non factor. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And that you know what? I'm gonna say this. I over the years covering the league from and this is not I've heard this from all over the place. You hear that here and there coaches talk about conspiracy theories and crazy stuff where when you hear it on its face, never having really been in the inner workings of the league before, being like this is ridiculous. What is wrong with these guys? Not everything is a conspiracy. And then the more you're around, the more you see stuff happen, the more you understand it, the more you're like, man, there is some shady stuff that goes on. There's just some shady stuff that goes on. That's all. Whether it really matters in the big picture, I don't know. But it ain't all on the up and up. Yeah, you wonder, like, the deflate gate thing, that maybe that was blown out of proportion too much and the four-game suspension for Tom Brady might have been over the top and this was like a little little pat on the back, a little payback where they they uh, allowed them to, to find out the, the results of the investigation just as they were announcing the Cam Newton. I wonder when they had, they'd come to terms with Cam Newton, if they even told him, hey, we're going to sit on this because this, this decision's coming in a, in a couple days. Um, it just – it. It it see it it's way too coincidental to for, for those. What, I mean, would out. it stun you? Would it stun you if they came to an agreement with Cam Newton a month ago, 
and told Cam we're going to announce it the day that they announced the thing. So just hang tight and just keep it under your hat. Procedurally, like, it wouldn't stun me, but the, the fact that it would not get out for a month, that, that would be surprising. Uh, but, yeah, if, if they only tell Cam and his agent, neither one of them, you know, they tell him, hey, if he gets out, we're not signing you, then maybe they would shut up and, and not let the news get out. It, it could have happened right. that long ago. Exactly. I would not. I'm not saying that's what happened, but it's just, it's all, all too coincidental. And yet another example. Uh, All right, Jay, you've got, we got our 20th anniversary of Paul Brown Stadium coming up. Um, (laughs) All the great moments. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, I mean, they're there. I think a lot of, you know, the fans have gone home happy a decent amount. Certainly a whole lot better than the previous 20 years. Um, or so definitely the previous 10. Uh, so you've kind of been compiling the 20th most memorable moments. I'm curious. Uh, do you have, you know, to give it, don't, I, I, I know what my number one is. If we're using the word memorable, are we using the word memorable officially? Yes. Yes. Memorable is the, the key. I don't think there's. It is undeniable, and no one will argue with me otherwise, the most memorable. Uh, and I don't think anybody listening to this podcast, everybody has to know exactly what it is, right? I assume you're going to go with the meltdown at Paul Brown? Got to be. Yeah. It's either that or Carson's knee, I guess. Yeah, those two are close. Um, the Corey Dillon record in 2000 um, is, is up there. Uh, there, there, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of interesting moments. It's it's funny when, you know, when I wanted to do this, I wanted feedback. I didn't because I'm prone to forgetting things. And so I wanted to get others feedback on, you know, what what maybe they would consider the most memorable moments. So I, I sent out this email uh, to various people asking in in Mo Egger. Uh, I, I should have known this. He he came up with some great ones, and they're not going to make the list. But the uh, the year when the Bengals got to delay a game on the very first play of the year. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then uh, he had monkeys riding dogs at halftime. That was really memorable. Yeah, but that should can't... be on there. That should that should be on the list. Yeah, I don't know if you can make that. Most most people don't memorable. See it. If you're well for us, but I mean, if you're if you're watching the game on TV, you don't see it, and even if you're at the game in person, you probably don't see it because you're at the bathroom or the beer line or wherever. But it was it was definitely memorable. Um, another one of Mo's was uh, it was a game against the Saints in 2010, and everyone you know when it's third and one, everyone's saying don't jump, don't jump, and Pat Sims jumps off sides, and they end up losing. No that brainer game freeze because, was no yeah. brainer freeze was the name of that play, by the way. <laughs> So, and then, you know, there's, yeah. there's other, there's like, it's hard to distinguish, you know, like between a game itself and a moment, a play like that meltdown at Paul Brown, there was so much that went into that, um, where, or the, the Corey Dillon record game and you're talking about 278 yards over the course of an entire game. But there, there, there are some moments in there that are single plays. There are some that is a, you know, maybe a final series of a game and then there are others that kind of incorporate the entire game. And it's not limited to Bengals memories only. There have been high school games there. There have been college games there. And there was one notable concert there from my genre of music that made the list. So it's – there's. I'm kinda... stunned, by the way, to hear that the Guns N' Roses concert <laughs> ends up making this list when Jay's putting it together. What a, what a really out-of-left-field development to see that, Jay. You think I was going to go Kenny Chesney? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, some, you know what? Some of us have different memorable moments than others. And I understand, but the point of this list is the point is memorable for everyone for the, the greater. Yes. My most memorable moment happened right outside of the Bengals locker room. I can tell you, I can point to the exact spot I was standing at in 2010 when Mike Zimmer went on the most epic rant ripping on Bobby Petrino that I've ever been a part of in my entire life. It was they were going back to play Atlanta for the first time since Petrino like quit midseason and Zimmer was on that staff. 
and he went off in a way that I have just never even realized was possible. Called him a gutless bastard. <laughs> he's he's I, a gutless bastard. Quote that. He's a coward. And he went on. I mean, it went on for like five minutes. He just kept adding more and more and more. He figured once he'd gone there, he was going all the way. And the best part is the the one quote was as he was walking away from us, going towards the locker room, and he's basically yelling this down the Paul Brown Stadium hallway while dipping into the locker room. He has said he ruined a bunch of people's lives, a bunch of people's families, kids, because he didn't have enough nuts to stay there and finish the job. That's the truth. And you can put that in the Arkansas News Gazette. <laughs> and I just, I mean, memorable? Maybe most memorable of my entire career. Memorable, most memorable interview of my entire career, probably. Hard to, hard to top that. Yeah, I wasn't even there for it, but I've heard you. I've heard your guys' audio of it. it it's it, it it's awesome. But then the fact that you, I love the story of you guys talking about how you all like ran and was like trans, whoever could get it up first. And and like yeah. by the time Zimmer got up to his office, he was already getting calls about it. Yeah, no, yeah, that is the great. That is the greatest. He said, but it, the time it took for him to walk from down there all the way up to where his office was, he his phone was already blowing up of people <laughs> not believing what he did. And this was uh, early days of Twitter. I mean, Twitter what started in '09, so this was like one year after Twitter came out, and it blew yeah. up instantly. Yeah, it did. That was a good, it was a good time. <laughs> Almost as good right after the about five minutes. At that point in time, they had a backup defensive end named Jonathan Fanene, who was like working on a hammy. They had him out for a week. <laughs> after Zimmer goes on his five minute rant, uh, Jeff hops and Butch just he just goes, uh, Fanene. Like, what else are we going to ask? Like, I guess we had other stuff, but it really seems irrelevant now. Uh, it's too good. Too good. Uh, so yeah, so that's coming out this week. So we'll keep an eye. And if you have your ideas of what you think should be on the list, give it a read. Let me know if we missed anything or if the ranking is wrong. But it, I mean, fifteen Warwick, right? Peter Warwick, Kansas City game. Yeah, feels Chad like Johnson's prediction in the mix. That, yeah, that is it. That yeah, is you. I mean, you see Ohio State back early days. You see Ohio State, and I remember that when that game happened, there was a whole thought of like, man, there's going to be all kinds of great other games in this stadium. Yeah, they really, they really, they just stopped no. playing those. You go, you go <laughs> back and watch that game. It was on grass. It was in 2002. The yeah. stadium had just opened, and man, I mean, Ohio State went undefeated that year and won the national championship. And and UC had them. They had first and goal at the 15, and couldn't punch it in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that piece will be out. Let us know. Hit us up. Let us know what you think about the uh, rankings on that one. Uh, outside of that, we will have a special episode next week. I'm on vacation. Jay, so you're on I. vacation too. Yep. yep. So special episode that will be uh, dropping in the books. Stick out. Stick around for that next week. You'll like it. Trust me on that. So anyway, uh, all right. I'm I'm out here. Jay, do you have anything else you would like to add? Uh, no, I'm good. I'm just uh, like you, counting down the days till vacation. I know. Almost there. So, Anyway, thanks, everybody, for listening here to that podcast crowd. We'll, we'll talk to you next week. Have a good one, everybody. <laughs>